Changing your world is what we're talking about in these, in these um, next few weeks. Whoops. And uh, we started that last week. Again, if you were here last week, we talked about surrendering your life to Jesus. That one life, surrender to God, can change your world. One life surrendered to God can change your world. You know, surrendered, surrender, surrendering is kind of a churchy term, isn't it? And it's kind of hard to put your finger on what does it really mean to surrender. Really, what it means in, in the biblical sense is that, that we submit our will to God's will. That God's will will always supersede our personal will. And I shared this in the Red Building last week. I'm, I'm not sure if, if Andy used this vocabulary, but I talked about becoming a whatever Christian, a whatever follower of Jesus, one who would say, whatever you want from me, God, I will do. Whatever you ask of me, I will give. The challenge that I have, and I'm assuming you have, is knowing what God wants from you. Isn't that challenging to know what, what actually is God's will? It sounds good to say, well, I'll surrender to God's will, but how do we know God's will? How do you know what God wants from you in your life? It's very tricky, and it's, it's a process, I think, that we, uh, that we learn throughout our life. I don't think we'll ever come to the point where we, we will have that completely figured out. But I want to give us a little bit of a help in that. I think there's two categories of God's will. One is, is his specific will for you in your life. The specific plan that he has for you, the things that he has for you to accomplish, the things that he wants you to do, the places he wants you to go to, the people he wants you to invest in. And you won't find that in the Bible. When, uh, when we were considering coming to Salt Lake City, I couldn't go through the Bible, the Old and New Testament, and just read up and at some point, I would come across the verse, Thou shalt go to Salt Lake City, Utah. I, I looked. I did a search. I googled it. it. It wasn't there. So there's God's specific will, but we won't find it in Scripture. God talks to us through all kinds of things, through other people, through circumstances, through thoughts, through dreams. He, he can use whatever he wants to, to tell us what he wants from us in our life. And it became very, very clear to us what he wanted from us. So that's God's specific will. That, that's a little more subjective, not as clear-cut as the second category of God's will, and that's his, his universal will, his, his general will for all of us, and that is what he has communicated in his word. That counts for all of us. Things like, you shouldn't steal. You should be honest. You should live a life of integrity. You should be kind and compassionate with people and so on. They, they, they are valid for all of us. That's his will for every single one of us. Now, the way that, that works itself out, again, is, is very individual. Depends on, on your personal circumstances. But it's this general will that, that I want to talk a little bit about this morning and that we're going to talk about in these next few weeks about what, has, what does God say about our lives that we need to submit to in order to change our world, to change our families, to change our marriages, to change our workplace, to change our neighborhoods and, and our cities and our church, to change K2. We, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 over the next few weeks. 
And Jesus gives some very specific instructions. He talks about very specific activities that he wants all of us to engage in so that we can make a difference and that we can, can change our world, the, the, the little part of the world that God has, has placed us in. And today we're going to talk about, about giving and what Jesus says about that. And giving, Andy mentioned that this morning, giving can be a, a tough and a, and a sensitive issue. Because right, right away we hear that, right? We go, where's my wallet? Oh no, oh no, they're going to ask for stuff. And, and you know, giving is hard for me. Giving isn't easy. It's, um, it makes me uncomfortable at times. And like probably many of you, I, I love to hold on to stuff. I love my stuff. I, I'm, not, I'm not quick to give. Sometimes giving is hard because we might have had a bad experience giving. Maybe we've encountered unthankfulness. I remember uh, when we lived, still lived in Germany, in, in our town, uh, the bigger town next to our village, we, you know, we would go for shopping, and, and our kids have really compassionate hearts. They get that from my wife, not me. Um, and, and whenever they would see a homeless person, they would want to give something. And so rather than us giving them our money, we said, well, what, what do you have that you can give? And, and they would be so quick to run to a bakery and get this pretzel, this breakfast pretzel. They're really big, not the little, you know, the little salt pretzels. They would buy a little pastry and they would go and, and give it to the lady or the guy. And I distinctly remember a couple of times them turning it down. And saying, nah, I just want money. And so that's discouraging, isn't it? It didn't always happen, but it, it happened. And it was really discouraging. And then, and then sometimes you think, well, is it, is it even worth it? And I'm really sad to say that, that sometimes when I'm down at the gateway and I'm walking down the street and someone asks me for change, that I'm actually glad when I only brought my credit cards because I can say, sorry, I don't have anything. That's my heart. <laughs> I know if you feel the same way sometimes. And it's weird that giving is hard for me because I have certainly been at the receiving end of giving. For years and years before we came here, we were missionaries um, and lived off churches and other individuals committing to donate money monthly so that we could have a paycheck. So we have definitely been at the receiving end of giving. And even since we've come here, the, just the love that, that you guys have poured out on us and the things you have given has just been overwhelming. So why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to give? I think there's a few things that um, I know come to my mind when I, when I think about giving, things that hinder me from giving. One is that I'm thinking, well, someone else will take care of it. You know, I, I, I stop at the intersection over here at 3rd West and 2100 South, and there's always somebody there with a sign and most off-ramps, you know. And it's so easy to think, well, I'm in a hurry. Some, someone else will stop. Someone else will give, right? I'll do it next time. Another excuse I have is, well, I don't have enough. What am I supposed to give from? If I, if I give this now, well, then I can't get this, and... I, maybe I can't play golf next week if I give. And, and it's this—it's a selfish thing, you know. I, I don't have enough. And then the last one I've already touched on a little bit is: well, will it make a difference? It's this this discouragement from maybe seeing an overwhelming need and thinking, well, whatever I could do won't make a difference. 
What could I possibly do to help? So let's have a look at uh, in Matthew 6 and see what Jesus has to say about giving, giving to those in need. It's in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no re- reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. This almost seems like a contradiction to what Jesus said just a few verses earlier in verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. He says this, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So a few moments earlier, he tells his followers, Do what's right. So that people can see, can see what? Not can see your good deeds and how good you are, but that they would see God and would praise him for that. And then here he says, don't give in public. So the, it's, it's not a contradiction. What he's focusing on both times is, don't make it about you. Do not make it about you. Do not even make it about the person you give to, but about who? This is about God. See, the word acts of righteousness here, it's really interesting. Acts of righteousness always describe acts from a a human towards God. See, only God can declare us righteous. Nothing we do to anybody, give to anybody, makes us righteous. Only God does. So when he describes giving to the needy as an act of righteousness, he's saying this is not an act towards that needy person primarily. It is an act towards God. It's an expression of your love for God and an expression of God's love for this person. That means giving to the needy, if it is done right, is directed towards God and motivated by him. And he contrasts that to how the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, were giving. What he's saying here is motive matters. Your motive matters, not the amount and not the content of what you give. It's your motive that matters. Is it God that's at the heart of your motive? Just this morning when I I arrived here and I went over to the red building for the connections team, when they come at 8.30 to set up to to serve you when you get here, we have a short devotions at 8.30. and, And the connections captain this morning shared from this little book. My utmost for his highest, it's a devotional book by Oswald Cham- Chambers. And she read this this morning, which fit in perfectly in this. He, he talks about um, serving and giving of selves. And he says this, Oswald Chambers says, If your devotion is to the cause of humanity, we will be quickly defeated and brokenhearted, since we will often be confronted with a great deal of ingratitude from other people. But if we are motivated by our love for God, no amount of ingratitude will be able to hinder us from serving one another or, to, or from giving 
to one another. See, if your motive is pleasing people in giving, it will be very short-lived. But if our motive is, is an expression of love to God, there will be great rewards. And this is what Jesus says here also in, in chapter 6 of Matthew. He says, your motive will determine your reward. See, if your motive is to, to be seen by people, that you're generous and you give to the needy, and your, your, your goal is to get reward and praise and recognition for that, he says, that's what you're going to get. You, you can have that. The problem is you will not get the reward that God has in store for you. And he's very clear. He says, you can't have both. If your, if your goal is recognition by men, you're going to get that, but you will miss out on God's reward. If your goal is God's reward, if your motive is your love for God, and if your giving is an expression of your love for him and his love for the people, then your reward will be with him. It might never be seen or recognized here, but he will reward and he will bless. Which one would you rather have? Some of us, if we're honest, say, well, I'd, I'd like to be recognized. But I tell you, God's reward will far outweigh any recognition that we can get here. He then goes on and, and compares again, compares giving to, to the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, and how they, how they gave. He calls them hypocrites. And the word hypocrite here literally is, is the old Greek word for an actor, for somebody who plays an act, somebody who, who pretends to be something that they're not. And in other passages in Scripture, in, in Mark twelve thirty eight, Jesus describes how, how the Pharisees lived their life, how they publicly strutted around and publicly gave and, and bragged about just how great and how righteous they were. And so Jesus contrasts that here says, do not announce your giving with trumpets. What he's saying is, don't toot your own horn. This isn't about you. Don't act out. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Don't pretend to be somebody you're not. Don't pretend to have compassion. Don't pretend you care about the needs of other people. Because all you really care about is your reputation. That's what he's saying here about how the religious leaders of the time gave. Again, motive matters. Not amount, not content, not how much you give and what you give. It's the motive in giving that really matters. See, giving, giving to the needy around us. And again, when, remember, we're not talking about tithing to the church this morning. It's another issue. That's also God's will. But we're talking about giving to people in need around us. And giving to the needy around us is God's will for you and for me. This isn't something we need to pray about and ask him about. Yeah, we might need to pray about who should we give to and how much and what and in what way. But whether or not we need to give to the needy, we don't need to pray about. It's God's will for us. And it's all through scripture. In fact, giving to the needy is, is God's welfare plan for the church. And it started very, very early on in Scripture. If you, if you have your Bible open, Deuteronomy 15. But we'll, we will have it on the screen for you. 
Deuteronomy 15, so very early on in the history of, of the people of Israel, God told them this in, in chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. It says, give generously to him, to the needy, and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. I command you to be generous and to have an open hand. It seems very clear that this is God's will for us. So it starts in the Old Testament. It's a major theme and it continues in the New Testament. And I want to read a rather lengthy passage for you and with you. It's in Matthew 25. It's verses 31 through 46. Where Jesus gives an illustration um, of, what, of what it should be like in the church. And he says this. I will start in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, and this is, this is important. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. This is pretty harsh, isn't it? I have a couple of thoughts when I read this. The first one is, he is very serious about this. God is very serious about us recognizing the needs around us and meeting those needs. It is very high on his priority list. One thing we have to remember here, yeah, he says to those that did not do any of this, that they were basically separated from him for eternity. One thing we've got to remember, it, it is not what we do or don't do that saves us. It's not what we do or don't do that will determine eternity for us. 
But we read in James that faith without works is dead. So really what he's saying is here, if these fruits are not in your life, if, if you don't feed the hungry, if you don't close those without clothes, if you don't uh, invite those in that don't have shelter, if you don't take care of the needs around you, then you, you must not have my life in you because I would do this. This is, this is Jesus' character. And if we are followers of Jesus, if we truly follow him, then these would be fruits in our lives. The question is not, are you doing this? The question is, is there real faith in your life? Do you have the life of Jesus in you? Are you a true follower of Jesus? Because if you do, feeding the hungry, clothing those without clothes, visiting those that are sick and in jail, will be fruits of your life with Jesus. Those will be elements that are evident in your life. And if they're not, and I include myself in that, if they're not part of our life, we really need to reevaluate. We really need to reevaluate our relationship with Jesus. So the first thought out of this is, this is extremely serious. God is serious about this. And the second thought I have reading this is, how, how do I perceive and how do I view those in need around me? How do I judge them? It's so easy to, to look at people that, you know, that come and ask for things, that stand at the corners, and, and maybe even the needy around, around us to, to look at them as an inconvenience. Oh, gee, I don't have time. Oh, good, I only have credit cards with me. Ah, got no change. <laughs> It's an inconvenience sometimes, isn't it? Do we even look at them as, as losers, people who didn't make it? Well, they don't really want to work. How, how do we view them? What kind of attitude do we have towards the needy around us? Do we see them as a threat to our comfort? Because Jesus said here, he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for who? For them? He says, you did it for me. And whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. To me, it was so stunning to realize again that the people out there and the people among us that are in need represent Jesus. They represent Jesus. If we give to them, we give to Jesus. If we take them in, we take in Jesus. If we visit them, we visit Jesus. Remember, it's in motive. It's all in the motive. And you know, you hear about ministries. I, I have heard about lots of ministries that need donations, you know, whether that's clothes or whatever it is. Do you know what you often hear from them is? You know, we get used and torn clothes. We get dirty underwear. If Jesus came to your door and needed clothes, would you give him used underwear? What do we give? Do we give out of convenience? Do we give out of leftovers? It's all in how we view these people. 
How do we view the needy among us? Are they valuable people, valuable members of our communities? Do we see them as representing Jesus and do we treat them as such? Do we give them as such? I often don't. If you and I individually and if we as a church take this seriously, that giving to the needy is not an option, it's not an inconvenience, it's a command out of love for Jesus, you know what it will do? It will change our world. But you know what it will do before that? And maybe this is even more important. It will change your heart and it will change my heart. That's what giving will do. Sometimes God asks us to, to do things before we feel like doing them. But by doing them, he will give us love for it and he will change our heart to where it becomes easier and easier to submit to his will. And if our heart's been changed by him, then he can use us to change the world around us. Because then he will fill our hearts with his compassion for people, with his love for people, and we will see people through his eyes. If we submit to him in this, he will change our heart, and he will use you to change the, change the world around you. Again, changing your world by giving has nothing to do with the amount of your resources. Remember earlier, one of the excuses often is, well, I don't have anything. Giving has nothing to do with your resources. It has all to do with a generous heart and making whatever you do have available to him. And trust me, he can multiply. He can multiply it. And I'm well aware that we're in tough economic times. The week doesn't go by where, where one of my friends here approaches me and says, I've lost my job. Can we pray? Every, every week over the last few months, Multiple people have come to me and said, I've lost my jobs. And I, I get that. But you know what? We can't say these are tough times I can't give right now. If we don't give in tough times, then when do we give? <laughs> There's lots of needy people around us. And you know what? If God wants to use you, even in tough economic times, to, to provide for others, won't he do the same for you? If he cares enough about this other person to ask you to give, won't he provide for you? Yes, he will. This is not a time to hoard. This is a time to step out in faith, and that's really what giving is about. It's about, it's about loving Jesus and trusting him that he will provide for you. Giving is not a question of your resources. It's a question of faith. Last Sunday, um, I was at home. I was really tired. And at the, in the evening, I turned on the TV and I watched ABC. Anybody watch um, Extreme Makeover Home Edition last Sunday? Anybody? Nobody watched Extreme Makeover Home Edition last Sunday? You've got to be kidding me. Some, one person, my wife, yes. Actually, she watched it later on TiVo, but um, it was unbelievable. I was blown away. There was a family that had applied for having the house done over, made over. And uh, so in that application, they sent in a video. The father talked about their family. 
They had one child of their own and had adopted six children from China that all had special needs. One was blind. Boy, you have a bunch of crying pastors here. <laughs> one was blind, one was deaf. One boy was physically handicapped. Two little girls had a, what's it called, a cleft palate that needed multiple surgeries. Um, and then one was already a, a teenager when they adopted her. So all children that were difficult to, to find families for. This family didn't have much. They had a small house with one bathroom for nine people living in that house. Some of the children, well, all of them had to learn English, but some of them you know, were teenagers already, had to com learn a complete new language. And it was amazing the willingness to give by this family. They could have used all kinds of accusers. We have a small house. What could we give to these children? We don't have resources for this. But you know what they gave those children? was unbelievable amounts of love and sacrifice that they were willing to go through. It was unbelievable. If you can go back, you can watch it online at abc.com, I believe. Just make sure you have a box of Kleenex with you. <laughs> and uh, the dad actually was diagnosed with, um, with brain cancer, and he died three days after the house was completed. It was, it was gut-wrenching. But what was so overwhelming for me was the willingness to give, give sacrificially to children that were in dire, dire need. And the blessing that it was, was to the parents to have this family it was just incredible. You've got to watch this. I want to bring up somebody now here in the end of this message um, to talk to you about, about a place that, uh, that's been very, very generous and made a difference in a lot of people's lives. Um, we had a missions trip um, a couple of weeks ago that was supposed to go to Honduras. Kim, would you mind coming up? They were supposed to go to Honduras to um, minister there. How many people did we have, Kim? 18 people had signed up and raised funds to go to Honduras um, for a week. And then uh, there was a military coup, and on very short notice, we, uh, we couldn't send the team to Honduras for safety reasons. And so we're looking, man, we had 18 people that were willing to do what God wanted them to do that week and give of themselves and their time and resources. We said, God, what do you want from us? What are we going to do with these people for this week? And, and God showed us an opportunity in, in Denver. Um, so from Honduras to Denver, Colorado, and uh, Kim was part of that team. And Kim, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the, the place that you were serving at called Socks Place. So why don't you tell us a little bit, and you will see pictures up on the screen from this trip. So we went to Socks Place, which is a drop-in center for homeless or street kids, homeless teens at risk, and they can get a hot meal, they get clothing, um, toiletries, whatever they need. They, can, they sit and sleep safely on a couch instead of out on the street. Um, they play games. They work on the computer. And they also, the, the homeless community, they have a, a family community. They just, that's, they're all each other have. And so they go to Socks Place and they hang out. And the, it's just, it's a safe place for them. And um, I don't know if you can tell the man in the, in the picture, his name is Doyle. He has a really cool gray goatee. His name is Doyle, and his, his street name is Socks. He started in 1999 going to 16th Street Mall, which is a very nice part of downtown Denver um, with businesses and restaurants and office buildings, but it's also where the homeless go. And there's another picture of Doyle. Um, 
he was called by God to go hand out socks to street kids. And it's that simple. It took him years to build a relationship of trust for these kids that have been abused, um, neglected, they're, street, they're addicts, they're not welcome at home. And in, in 2002, Doyle started Socks Place with his son Jordan to make this um, safe place for these kids. And it's because God called him to do it. So it started just by handing out socks. Anybody got socks here? Yeah? Okay. So it doesn't take me. Yeah, me neither today. Um, what, as you were there for the week, what impact did you see Doyle have in those children's lives and, and Socks Place? It's incredible to see the impact that he has on those kids because for most, if not all of them, he is their dad, and that's it. Mm. They don't have a safe home. They don't have a, they don't have a dad or they have an abusive dad. Um, he is their dad, and he is everything that you were talking about in your message that God placed one life surrendered to his will to change his world. And Doyle loves those kids unconditionally, but as he'll tell you, he doesn't trust them. And so he has learned how to work with these street kids, not to just give them handouts, but to figure out one by one what they need. And he meets that. They love him. They trust him. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Now, what did you guys do there during that week? We hit that building like a hurricane. It was amazing. You can see in the pictures some of the before and after. Um, Doyle moved into a new building about six months ago, and it's a three-story building from the 1930s. It was originally a brothel, so there's 18 rooms upstairs that were just in various states of disrepair. Um, and we p cleaned, we painted, we threw away... We organized. It was a, just, they're understaffed, and so it was a disaster. And we made a huge impact on cleaning up the place and just organizing it for him. You can see before and after pictures. Um, nice. That was what we did physically. I got to paint the red doors on the front of the building, and that, for Doyle, symbolizes the blood of Christ. And mm. that's why he does what he does. And then also we got to spend time with the street kids. You can see a picture of, um, that's Katie and Dondria. And so we were there three days with the, the building or the facility open to the kids. And we just cooked them a meal. We handed out socks. We helped them with clothes. Mm. Um, whatever it was we needed, we just sat and listened to them talk. Or we let them, let them go if they needed to. So obviously this place has a great impact on those children. and on the, How many children come on a regular basis? They serve at least 80 kids per day. 80? 80. 80 kids. Okay. kids per day. Okay. Now, we talked about the impact on them and on the community. What impact did that trip have, have on your heart in seeing that and giving of yourself there? It was an amazing experience for me because my heart was set on going to Honduras, and I was sure that was where God had called me, and to go to Denver, which is actually about two hours from where I grew up, and I've lived in Denver, and I was like, seriously, God, Denver? I've been, I live there, you know, and so it was, it was a complete change of plans. Homeless teenagers together, like individual, like homeless teens, me, no, you know, <laughs> and so it was, 
I didn't know why, but I just felt like I had to follow, continue to follow God, God's call to go. And so to go there, and it was amazing because by the time I left, it was, I was completely different. And so it's, it's homeless teens and me together now. I, my heart was open. I was not afraid. I wasn't scared. I wasn't nervous. I found myself seeking out the teenagers. I saw them on the 16th Street Mall when we walked down there one night and I felt drawn to them and it was so weird because I had a choice between our team or normal kids and the street kids and that's who I felt drawn to. Mm. Tattoos, piercings, rough language, weird clothes, everything. (laughs) It was amazing to to have that transformation in my heart to be open to that now. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Yeah. So you see, there was Doyle, Doyle, one life, surrendered to Jesus, not a lot of resources, but socks. He had socks and he was willing to be faithful with that. It made a huge difference in, in children's lives, in the whole community. And, and it, it, it changed Kim's heart. In giving, her heart was, was drawn from discomfort to, to really being filled with Christ's love for those children. And I just want to encourage you this morning that God calls us to give. It's not something we need to ask him about and pray about. But remember, it is not in the amount. It's not in your resources. It's in your availability to Jesus that will make the difference. So let's, let us individually and let's as a church be followers of Jesus that say, Jesus, whatever you want from us, whatever you want from me, I am willing to give. And I guarantee you, your heart will be changed and the world around you will be changed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes, especially in these economic times, we might look at our circumstances and think, man, we, uh, it's tough. We don't have much. But so often we only compare up. We, uh, we don't compare down and see that compared to others, we have so much to give. And Father, I thank you that it actually is not in the resources that we have, but that it is in, in our love for you and in our availability to you. And I pray that you would give us your love for the people around us. I pray that you would give us your eyes for the needs around us and then a willingness and an obedience to meet those needs and that we would do that in faith knowing that you will provide for us also. But I can only imagine the impact that we could have as a church if we would all live out this principle. Surrender to you living generously as you call us to in Deuteronomy 15, living generously and with an open hand. God, give us that faith. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, During our first song now, we we will have an opportunity for you to give, to give to, to the church, give back to the church. If you're a visitor here this morning, please don't feel obligated um, to give. Just feel free to let this pass by. But we're thankful for everything that you do give. And uh, let's, let's make this part of our worship, part of our worship to God out of thankfulness to him. And um, I invite you to, to worship with us now.